our two readings, um, I think starting with, the, with our gospel reading, and Anne is going to do that, and then Helen, and then Richard is going to come up to give us her talk this morning. So, Anne, thank you. The gospel reading is taken from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. The Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And they appeared before Elijah, before them, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the, Lord, the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they all looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out, shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face, in the face of Christ. Just before I begin, let's, let's bow our heads to pray. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. Open our hearts, Lord, we want to be changed, to be more like him. Amen. As we go through our gospel passage today, I shall put a few questions on the screen. Don't worry, despite my past career, this isn't a school lesson uh, that you need to work hard in, so most of them I shall try to answer myself. But this first one, I would like to hear your answer to. What do you think is the most important of our senses? hearings. Yep. Emily? And you say sight. You only value things when you lose them, don't you? Yeah. Well, I would also put hearing first and sight 
second. And I think, if you think about relationships, you get to know people by hearing what they say, don't you? I mean, I can see pictures of all sorts of celebrities. I can see them on my screen, but I don't know them unless I get to chat to them and, and hear them talk. And, but if I talk to people on the phone a lot who I never see, I can keep a relationship going. So I think hearing, for me, is, is the most important. But both of these things are important in our readings today. But before we look at Mark 9 together, we need to understand something of the context of this event on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospel reading. Now, unfortunately, the church lectionary goes out of order at this point um, and puts Mark 8 after Mark 9 for Sunday readings. But it's important to approach this in chronological order if we're to make sense of both chapters. So the first half of Mark's Gospel, the first eight chapters, are addressing the question, who is Jesus? And the answer comes to its climax in these chapters. We've had eight chapters seeing Jesus heal and do other miracles and hearing his teaching. And then in Mark 8, Jesus puts the question of his identity to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And Peter makes his great declaration of faith by saying, you are the Christ, the Messiah. But Messiah, God's chosen one, was a much misunderstood term. So, Jesus began to warn them that the Christ had to suffer and be killed and rise again, none of which they truly understood. And in the end, Jesus had to tell Peter off gently just a short time after commending his faith. You do not have in mind the things of God, but of men. Couldn't those words be just as true of us today as of Peter then? Perhaps more so. The things of God do not come to our minds as readily as the things of men. I need that rebuke every bit as much as Peter did. So Jesus decided to do something that would put the things of God in the forefront of the minds, at least of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, who get the special privilege on this occasion of witnessing the transfiguration. First, Jesus gives a hint of it in advance. Some who are standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power, he says. That's the first verse of Mark 9. So Mark himself is hinting that this would be fulfilled in what happened six days later, which he goes on to write and which we've just heard. Uh, thank you, Anne. But do refer back to the passage on your sheet as we look at it um, together now. So, gone through the context. So what did the disciples, the three disciples, see and hear? If you look at verses 2 to 4, it says... There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now Mark, who is the master of understatement, doesn't say much 
even though he would probably have heard about this directly from Peter some years later. There's a little more in the other Gospels from where we can glean that this event probably happened at night. Um, it, it says that they, they woke up from sleep to see it. And that would make it even more scary than a scary and awesome daylight experience. Jesus was dazzlingly bright, but it was still the Jesus they knew talking with two men they couldn't have known, but who, as Jews, they would know were the two greatest figures in the Old Testament. The disciples heard them talking. So maybe they heard their names mentioned, or maybe they put two and two together from the conversation, or maybe God just revealed it in a flash of insight. Luke tells that these two appeared in glorious splendor and says they were talking with Jesus about his departure to come in Jerusalem. The word Luke uses is actually his exodus. So why were these two Old Testament heroes there? This sort of thing doesn't and didn't normally happen, though it had been prophesied by Malachi that Elijah would appear. Both of them had had unusual departures of their own. Moses disappeared while on Mount Nebo, and his body was never found. Elijah was carried up to heaven in a chariot of fire, so neither was his, though he did leave his cloak for Elisha. More importantly, they represented the whole Old Testament, which Jewish people to this day refer to as the law and the prophets. Moses was, of course, the great lawgiver following the exodus from Egypt, and Elijah was the great prophet who defeated the prophets of Baal. So in looking at these disciples, they saw the awesome law, the most awesome prophet, and at the heart of the scene, their friend Jesus, the Christ, according to Peter, himself in an awesome, transfigured form. It must have been as unforgettable as it was unique. Mark records in verse six that the disciples were so frightened it was as the vision began to fade and the two former heroes began to leave, Luke says, that Peter spoke up, as he often did, without quite knowing what to say, and he suggests, it's in verse 5, putting up three shelters or tents for the honored guests. After all, it would be cold up a mountain in the night, so perhaps it seemed a sensible idea. And perhaps it reveals a desire to keep them there, to keep the glory of it all. This was a mountaintop experience, and Peter didn't want it to end, even though he was terrified in a kind of adrenaline rush. His idea also reminds us of the special tent where God would meet with his people during and after the Exodus, the tabernacle. Have you had a mountaintop experience of God? Well, Moses did at least three times, twice at Sinai, his call at the burning bush, and then the giving of the commandments amid frightening conditions, hearing a thundering voice of God, and then the third being his vision of the promised land from Mount Nebo. Elijah had, as well, at least twice, first on Mount Carmel when he confronted those idol-worshipping prophets, and secondly, also on Mount Sinai, hearing the still, small voice of God. But mountaintop experiences don't last. We can go to the mountain, but we can't live there. 
we have to go back to our more normal, everyday life. And very soon, it's just Jesus with them again, resuming his normal appearance. But Jesus comes with us into that everyday life as well. He's not just there on the mountain. He's there at our side in the valley too. Peter had wanted to uh, bask in the radiance, not realizing that Jesus himself was, as the writer to the Hebrews put it, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Um, that's the Hebrews bit there. I think those verses from the start of Hebrews indicate the point of this event, the transfiguration. In the past, God spoke through, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by. Let's just think a moment about the symbolic meaning, now we can move on, of uh, the various things that are, are mentioned here, the significant things in this, in this event. The mountain. We've already mentioned how often God did significant things or revealed himself dramatically on mountains where many people say they feel closer to him. The cloud. Sinai was covered by cloud at the time Moses went up to receive the commandments. But even before that, a pillar of cloud had been leading the Israelites by day out of Egypt. A cloud of God's glory filled the temple that Solomon built on another mountain, Temple Mount, when it was dedicated. No one could go in. And a cloud eventually covered Mount Carmel after Elijah prayed for rain there. Clouds always symbolize the awesome presence of God and of his glory. A tent, well I've already mentioned the tabernacle, which was the blueprint for the temple, and a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus. And then finally, voice of God, which was heard on significant occasions, such as Jesus' baptism and just before Good Friday. Now, all these things were pointing to the fact that God was confirming the truth of what Peter had said a week before, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and foreshadowings and previews, the fulfillment of the law and of all that was symbolized in the sacrifices at the tabernacle and the temple. In fact, Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to him. Now, I think that the answers of the question, that, that answers the question of what was most important for the disciples. They learned that in the past, God had spoken through the law and the prophets, but now his perfect expression was his son. They had the law and the prophets, they had the whole Old Testament, but they hadn't seen how everything in it, every festival, every commandment, every prophecy, every part of the tabernacle and temple, every item worn by the priests, every sacrifice performed, everything pointed to him. Everything there was fulfilled by him and in him. Jesus was truly the center of it all, and they had missed that. And incredibly, most Jewish people still miss that today. They are still awaiting their promised Messiah. It's as if God is saying to these Jewish disciples, yes, 
You already have the law and the prophets, but something greater is here. This is my son. You've heard the laws read out. You've studied the prophets. But this is who they were writing about. Listen to him. That was the most important part of this for them. That was why Jesus took them up the mountain. But what about for us? What is important for us today in this event? Well, I want to say it's the last thing that God utters here in verse 7. Listen to him. Peter and the disciples could see Jesus immediately, but we can't. They couldn't see anyone but Jesus, it says in verse 8. We can see everyone but him. But that doesn't matter, because hearing is more important than seeing. Hearing, remember, is how we build a relationship. It's how we get to know someone. And we can hear him any time we want to. But how? How, you may ask? Perhaps you've never heard his voice audibly, though some have. But God, who so much wants us to get to know his son, doesn't leave us in a dark silence like that at Calvary. He's given us his word. The son is his word, expressing him. And the Bible is his word, expressing the son. We can hear him in a number of ways, but supremely and most easily through his word, the Bible. Now, it would be another whole sermon to talk about the wonders, the power, the incredible patterns, the sheer marvel of this unique library of 66 books written by about 40 different authors in several languages and countries over a period of who knows how many centuries, and yet remarkably coherent, as if one voice were behind it all, which of course there is, God's voice, working through the Holy Spirit, inspiring all those who wrote it. There is simply nothing else like it. When our monarchs are crowned, they are presented at the coronation amongst all the rich jewels and symbols with a Bible. And they're told, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing which the world affords. So, we must read it. We must read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. And if we can't read it, we can still hear it read. Amy tells me there are apps for that now. We have no excuse for ignoring it. We must feed on it daily. It's our daily bread. Man shall not live just on baked bread, but on every word that proceeds from God. We should give God time every day to communicate with us through his word, so that we can get to know him better. We should ask the Spirit to speak to us through it. We should memorize parts of it. We should listen carefully to sermons focused on the word. We should teach it to our children. You can get them a children's Bible, read it with them every day. Read it and think about it and pray about what God says and do it. And Lent is a great time for starting it if you haven't already. Remember that Jesus concluded his most important sermon with a parable. 
It was the one about the foolish man who built his house on sand and the wise man who built his house on rock. The rock is Jesus. Both of them, both men heard his word, but only the wise man did what it said. We have to read it and act on it if it's going to do us any good. That's how a strong life is built. Our foundation is on rock when we read and apply the Bible. That life can withstand the storms. So, why then is it so important to immerse ourselves today in such an old book? Well, the problem is that for us, we hear a cacophony of other voices all day long. The media, the social media, the slick marketing of the advertisers, the worldly messages of modern films and songs and soaps, the 24-hour news, the lies of politicians and their spin doctors. We have AI and virtual reality and fake news to contend with now as well. And all of these are voices of men, not of God. People are human. Their messages are worldly and they lead us away from God, often into error, confusion, darkness and lostness. Only Jesus, as Peter said, has the words of eternal life. So, yes, finally, what will be the effect of listening to Jesus in his word? Well, I want to conclude briefly with four results, though I'm sure there are more. First, we shall grow in faith. People sometimes say, I wish I had your faith, as if it was some gift or talent given to a, a few. It's totally wrong. The Bible tells us plainly, it's, it's there in Romans, faith comes by hearing. Anyone can hear the word which brings faith. And the more we listen, the more we grow in faith. Secondly, as we listen to the word, we see more. In particular, we see Jesus more fully. You see, Peter only had a partial understanding of Jesus. We call him the Christ, but he didn't know what it meant. But when he went up that mountain, he learned a lot more. And we too may only have a limited view of one or two aspects of our Savior. But as we listen to him in the Bible, our view is stretched and filled out. Thirdly, in an age of deceit and fakes and false voices, we shall be able to discern the true from the false. Once we step away from what God's word says, we fall into error. And it's so easy then to listen to the world's voice and to compromise with Satan. The epistle today, which Helen read, reminds us that Satan blinds people to the truth. Jesus says Satan is a liar and the father of lies. It is the Bible which opens our eyes and restores our spiritual sight. It is the Bible which can keep us from being so easily distracted, deceived, and blinded. And lastly, listening to Jesus in his word can enable others to see and hear God's message, the gospel. And through that, 
to meet, see, and hear Jesus for themselves. You may be the only book your neighbor reads about Christ. How shall they hear without a preacher? But how can our lives or our words preach the gospel if we do not know his word? This is my son, God says. Listen to him. Let us pray. Awesome Lord Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, Savior. Dazzle us when we open your word so that we are filled with a longing to read it and listen to you every day. May we meet you there and do what you say. Speak to us through it, Holy Spirit. And as we feed on it, even if we're not transfigured, may we be transformed. Amen.